I wonder though, like I try, I've been feeling like I'm, I don't know what to do. Like I tried to play a game the other day. What was it? Animal Crossing. Because yeah. I know that my nephew has it. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm there. And I'm just like, this is so slow. <laughs> just, I'm about to have a heart attack. <laughs> Collect some Please. shells. Like, let's go do fishing. something. Let me like go fishing at I least. Went, yeah. I, I built my fishing rod. Yep. Yeah. I had it on the phone and I was playing. And I'm with trying it. to get into it, but I'm having a really I'm yeah. having a really hard time getting into having fun again. That's okay. So sad. All right. Yeah. Oh yeah, so let's get into it. Podcast podcast. Yeah, let's uh, go it, for it. Th- this is I mean, in a way, the games that we play or the, or how we see the games that we play and, and that's I think that's part of the whole contemplation thing. Uh but yeah, yeah, for the people out there with uh, things in their ears maybe or or maybe they're listening on speakers at home uh welcome back to the podcast and today uh we've got bilal and for those of you who have been around on the podcast for years you would have heard bilal in the past we've podcasted from a roof of a building in berlin we've podcasted from a hacker camp um i think i don't know if we ever podcasted from lebanon but we got close i'm sure uh anyway hi bilal Hello. That rooftop was a squat, if you yeah. if you remember correctly. Yes. Yeah. Good memories, man. Yeah. 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 What was you were no, you were just staying there sometimes, right? Yeah. I I met somebody uh, who happened to live there and no. this was back when I didn't really have a home. No. No. <laughs> and so people would take me in from time to time and I was I was living with this uh person at that squat for some yeah, I don't know, not not that long. Yeah. It was nice. It was it was interesting because I've heard a lot about squats and squat culture. And this was um, the little uh, squat that could. It's been around <laughs> for something like 20 years and it had gr- grown up in a sense and yeah. become legitimized. And uh, yeah, it was it was very interesting. I think it was called K9. I, I don't yeah, know. Maybe. Right. Something yeah. like- I think most now get the uh, so-called in, in Germany, vague status where they're uh, you're a group living together. Uh, whereas once you were a squat, I don't know. I don't know for that specific building, but that's what I lived in. You stayed at my house uh, when I used to live uh, in the community. It was also yeah. a Wohngruppe, so you had like rights and uh, you couldn't be kicked out, but it used to be squat. But yeah, Berlin does well preserving those. I think we have a little more trouble here in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. But uh, Bilal, since the beginning of, well, Corona, you, you're there. You're in Paris. Your home is in Paris. I, I am home. Uh, I don't know if you're also screen recording, but we are looking at each other. We're not on a rooftop quite, but um, you are in my living room. You are, no. uh, as I communicate <laughs> with most people right now, virtual. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is my 29 square meter apartment <laughs> here in Paris. There's a I screen and a good chair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you can actually see some some interesting stuff. You see that bird? There is a bird in a framed uh, uh, picture. There's actually a few birds. Tell me. Yeah. So um, that that bird comes from um, some lithographs that Napoleon uh, uh, asked his team to do when they were in Egypt. And they did a big assessment of all of the, the animals and the rivers and mapping Egypt. It's kind of... Yeah, it's it's both it's both cool because it's beautiful and super well done, and I'm glad to have a record of that of that time. Um, but also just thinking about you know colonialism and the mm. consequences and and all of that. So it's um it kind of reminds me of of a question that I I had uh, where 
somebody that I really liked, me and my friends really liked this performer. And this performer was accused of doing something very wrong. And we were literally in the car driving potentially to see this performer when we found that out. Mm. And so the question was, does the music go sour? Okay. You know, this, this bird, it's beautiful. It's a very well done um, uh, lithograph. Yeah. Um, but if you think of the consequence of, of colonialism and, and those like uh, Napoleonic conquests and uh, sure. is it, well, yeah, I'm just wondering, like, what do you, how do you feel about that? What do you think about these types of questions? Uh, I mean, they're, I think, extremely relevant these days in the sense that a lot of people are asking them. Uh, mm -hmm. Some people aren't just asking these questions. Some people are, you know, demanding answers. It's it's kind mm -hmm. of taking different forms in the last few years. Um, I, I always think about it as sort of, I want the right to look at it as a case-by-case -case kind of basis. Um, mm -hmm. And I can't, I, for myself, I can't make any uh, blanket statements that, you know, anything, for example, anything connected to colonialism is unacceptable to me. I don't mm -hmm. know. I would have to look at each instance. I totally understand, I think, based on experience, when it would be something that I don't feel comfortable with, something I don't mm -hmm. think benefits humanity or even just your own house, my house. Um, but, it, you know, it, it is very relevant. I mean, people have always, you know, things change, right? The way people think Mm -hmm. has always changed. So I don't mm -hmm. think we're in such a unique era. It's just we're home, maybe. We communicate more easily with a lot of people, faster, uh, without a lot of contemplation, coming back to that idea. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so if you, you know, when I look at that framed uh, based on a lithograph image, um, knowing now what you've told me, I, I, I'm still okay with it, but I'm glad to understand it better. You know, it, mm. it certainly means more and it's certainly it's less of just a beautiful thing. It's a complex thing, really. Yeah. Um, you, you know, it makes me remember some 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 things I saw in Berlin. Um, you could, I'm going to pronounce this really wrong. If there's any people that speak German, you probably can correct me about it. But there's like Menkmals and Denkmal. It's like a, it's a type of memorial and there's two kinds. One is a place where you go to remember. And if I remember correctly, when I was in Berlin, I saw um, a memorial to World War I where people go to kind of pay reverence and remember the, uh, the, the, the First World War. And then the other one is a place to be warned by your memory. So it's a memory warning. Okay. Um, I think that's Denkmal. I'm not, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. I wish I could speak German and remember um, correctly, but it's like, we're going to remember this place where the trains used to depart to Auschwitz and mm -hmm. we're going to set a memorial here, but not to forget and not to say, let's take down all those pictures of the birds that remind us of colonialism or stop listening to Michael Jackson entirely or whatever yeah. it is, yeah. uh, but to add contextualization to the historical period that it comes from and to remember either things to aspire to or remember things to be concerned about. Yeah. I think, I think that's, yeah. yeah, I've always admired and, and uh, I know others have said similar, um, Germany, like growing up, well, at least when I was old enough to have more contact with people in Germany or from Germany, um, mm -hmm. I could always tell that there is a maturity, no, let's see, mm -hmm. there's an advantage in an odd way to more having a, a full knowledge 
a complex knowledge of your recent history, if, if you count World War II as recent, um, to the point that you can do things like what you just outlined. Um, yeah. you can, you can remember, you don't have to block it out and say it never happened as some might mm -hmm. for, for different moments in history that are shameful. Um, but you can also, uh, say, okay, no, but there's going to be things that we record that we look back at because, uh, either the suffering that happened or also because we don't want this to happen again. Um, in yeah. a way it was to me and you also, you know, you grew up in the U S in the U S I always found it annoying that. The only history you would learn was the history where you were cool. Like the mm -hmm. U.S. was awesome. The U.S. Uh, military yeah. did this thingy. Even Vietnam, well, they meant well, you know. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, and the soldiers didn't know any better. You know, there's all this glorification only of history. History was really like a press uh, promotion for for the country. Now, I, I I hope that in well in the U.S. you have a lot of variation. So maybe it was just a pocket that I was in in New mm -hmm. Jersey. But I always admired Germans more for knowing just you know look we're a country we've got some cool yeah. things we've we've done some things too it's all part of it all part of it yeah. you know yeah. uh, and i always wish the u.s would do more of that sort of like yeah it's all part of it uh, there was an opportunity recently with the uh, confederate statues i don't know if you were hearing about the news sure um and the question about what to do with them mm -hmm. and i think you know okay Bear with me as I as I relate the story, but there's a story about <clears throat> the the Kaaba in the in in Mecca in Saudi Arabia, and it was destroyed, and there was this stone that was super special, and anybody that would get the opportunity to put this black stone in its rightful place would be supremely honored, and they were about to get into a big conflict. They were about to get into a fight, and they said the next person that comes through, we'll ask them how they would resolve the situation. And the next person comes through, and it's the uh, it's Muhammad before he becomes a prophet. And he comes and he says, okay, here's my cloak. And he sets it down. Let's put the stone on it, and let's all carry the four corners and take it to the spot. And uh, once everyone brought it up to the right spot, he just took it and put it in the right place. And everyone's honor and dignity was preserved. And similarly, I feel like the opportunity that could have happened with this question of the memory of the Confederacy and the Confederate soldiers um, could have become this place where rather than one side saying, tear them down, and the other side saying, no, this is our history. I think, you know, a wiser uh, approach, some, we could have thought, you know, what is it about people willing to, I know this gets kind of nuanced, bear with me, mm. uh, don't take my words out of, uh, no. out of the whole stream of this uh, argument, this line of reasoning, but what are the things that we can appreciate about people that believe in something so much they're willing to fight for it? You know, mm -hmm. the, the values, what, are, what is valor and bravery? Um, even if you have to abstract it out, like what are the things in these people that are good? What are the things that we need to remember that happened because of this that was so terrible? Yeah. And how do we uh, both carry this uh, the the cloak together and put things in order? Mm -hmm. And instead of tearing things down or setting them up and glorifying them uh, wholeheartedly without considering the damage that also is done in the names of those people, is being more nuanced and making it a, a dank mall or sure. a, a memory warning of like, here's a nuanced look at this snapshot in history the the negative parts that we don't uh, uh, want to repeat and some of the parts that we need to honor. And yep. 
I feel like this is this this nuance that's very hard. Like even speaking it is scary. Yeah. Um, as somebody that comes from uh, who has many liberal friends who might be like completely no, like destroy these things, never again. Um, but I think we can learn from Germany and we can learn from these stories of of uh, people in the past that took wise approaches of of remembering and uh, learning from our history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's yeah. I I definitely appreciate what you're saying, uh, and it's certainly crossed my mind. You know, sort of the a better way to go about these conversations is documentation, and then then how to revisit mm. it. Because what you, also what you don't want, uh, which we can sometimes get, you know, the way things go, is that people are now scared to ask questions or scared mm. if they admit they don't understand uh, something, for example, you know, it, it, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I had a small moment maybe in, in these kinds of, um, you know, the question of history and memorials. And I went to South Africa just before Corona. Mm. Um, a couple months before. Lucky. Yeah, it was great. It was in Cape Town for this um, gathering that you would have fit right in uh, the Video uh, for Change Network, uh, hmm. a bunch of different organizations and a really wonderful time. I did a lot of podcasts actually with the, mostly with the Maasai people, but also some other indigenous wow. groups uh, because that was a theme actually, except for me, uh, indigenous people coming from around the world um, mm. and a few friends. <laughs> That's where I fit in. Anyway, so uh, I took some time. I'm in Cape Town. Uh, I, I confess to you, I have never studied Cape Town's history very closely. But of course, while I'm there, I'm reading any sign I can. And, you know, there's always that question, who put this sign here? And, you know, what's their take on things? So maybe two moments, same place that I remember is that at one point I'm in this garden, like public garden, but there's vegetables growing and uh, also some beautiful flowers. And it really looks like someone's big garden and apparently it was the sort of uh, a source of sustenance for the um, i don't mm. know if it was the dutch when they were passing or, or colonizing mm. or maybe the boers later <laughs> but it was definitely sustenance for some some people that had settled there that i think weren't originally originally from there and it's still a very beautiful place but yeah they they tell that story they don't tell any other story in that mm. particular spot so i realized i was like mm. all right well this is a nice sort of their version of what this place is but i'm sure there's a lot more to it and in that same garden there's a statue of a man named uh, cecil rhodes if i'm not mistaken and i'm like oh yeah i know rhodes as once the namesake colonizer of rhodesia uh, oh, which wow. includes zimbabwe yeah. But, you know, Rhodes had a huger impact that I am not educated about in terms of he he was someone in the time of colonization, someone British, I believe. Anyway, his statue is still there. And I was kind of surprised, not, mm. not that his statue is there, because I know what this world is, right? This world is a place full of colonizers and the powerful tell this, you know, tell history. So that there is a statue, I'm not shocked by, but I thought maybe Cape Town and the progressive forces in Cape Town would have yeah. maybe moved it. But then I realized, you know, I'm a visitor here. There's probably a debate that exists already. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe there's even some, hopefully, <laughs> you know, ideally, some communication between all the different communities, certainly uh, with South Africans uh, of South Africa. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I just realized how much mm -hmm. I don't know when I was there. Yeah. You know, the statue mm -hmm. is there. Am I Am I upset that the statue is there? I, I don't know, but I realized that it's it's an 
it, there is something uncomfortable about, uh, uncomfortable about it. Um, there's also no context, right? It's just his name. I don't know if I'm missing a plaque somewhere to really tell the story of why you put a statue. But then this also goes to the whole thing of, yeah, what does it mean to you when you see the statue of someone? Um, mm. Is it a, a reflection moment f as a warning who not to be? Is it a never forget? Uh, mm -hmm. is it an honoring great people kind of thing? You know, I, I just, mm -hmm. it was one of these great moments of, I just don't know, you know, like I'm out you of my know, element. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. I'm thinking about, um, the, uh, the stories within, you know, I, I come from a, a Muslim background and a lot of the stories that I have come from the tradition I grew up with. And in the Quran, it often asks people, the Quran is a holy book for the Muslims, uh, to look at the ruins of temples and like like egypt for instance or palmyra or uh you, you know these these places that are, are ruins and to contemplate uh the past and how much power doesn't really avail you it doesn't support it doesn't make you live forever it doesn't mean that you're infallible um and they're gone these super powerful figures and they're gone and so the Quran is uh, suggesting to look at these ruins. Look, go to the the Great Pyramids and see the pharaohs and their larger than life uh, statues, and use that as a contemplation. It's really, I guess, um, encouraging the translation to happen inside rather than to tear down the outside. And I think, um, yeah, like you're saying, it's what do you know and your observation of the moment and your context and your history um, really inform how you interpret. Uh, the, the the world um, around. And I think there's some, another thing that I was wondering about is as cities like get super populated, you know, I'm in France and if I saw something here that I thought was odd, like a statue um, for somebody that might, I don't know, that I might disagree with or mm -hmm. I feel like we shouldn't be uh, encouraging the the positive memory of, I have no idea what to do about it. Uh -huh. um, oh yeah, right. And when and you're I, a visitor, and, and outsider, like, most of it is just maybe you know it's a weird time to live in a globalized world without real depth and roots and context. And you know, lots of people are moving. You grow up in your hometown, you wind up living in somewhere else, and it's uh, <laughs> so I it's it's confusing. It's yeah. it's really dis disorienting in a sense, and uh, yeah. And maybe that's okay to some extent, to some level. But yeah, in, in also at the same time, there is that question of at one point, should you maybe read more, know more, you know, uh, <laughs> seek knowledge really? <laughs> or do you just go by like, I don't know, I'm an outsider. Uh, I, I got um, a call from, I use some kind of a accounting software. It's from the US actually for just managing my freelance uh, work. And um, I pay a little money for it, right? And... and all good, all fine. But the, someone from that company calls me very, actually very mm. human. I was surprised uh, and just wants to know, you know, uh, am I having any trouble? Um, mm. They don't have that many customers in the Netherlands, but they'd like to have more. And and, and I'm like, you know what? This guy sounds pretty cool. I'm, I'm that guy. I'll talk to a sort of promotional people. But this guy was very human. There was no script. So I like that. Yeah. Anyway, at one point I explained to him the struggle I've had over the years that I have, you know, I find someone to help me with taxes, right? Like a bookkeeper in this country, because I'm not from here. And then um, 
the the hard part is, of course, I have to pay that person and I have to try to understand as much as I can the procedures and policies. So uh, this uh, guy from the, the software company, he calls me and he says, um, is your accountant uh, using the software too? And I was like, nah, he doesn't really know who you are. Um, or he's heard of you, but you're an American thing. So I just download all the information and I, I, I upload it to him. It's, it's, it's a task. And, and this, anyway, this guy from the company says, well, you know, um, he could access our system and you could tell him that's what you want because you're the customer, right? You're his client. I'm not telling you how to handle your bookkeeping, but he works for you. And I said to the guy, I hear you. And I grew up with that in the U.S., you know, customer demands service. But no matter how many years go by in this country, I am a guest or at least Mm -hmm. I am an outsider. And I do not feel empowered to say to someone, here's what you need to do for me. Much more often, Mm -hmm. even if I am the one paying the bill, uh, I'll be told how things work. Um, I don't know. It's something in my voice. It's something in my language, Mm -hmm. but it happens so easily. And it's mostly because one, it might be just who I am, but the other thing is just, I am the outsider. Like, uh, you can hear it in how I talk, even if I speak the language, um, and maybe you hear it in my mannerisms. So that influences how I behave and what I do or don't Mm -hmm. demand Mm -hmm. of the world around me. (laughs) That's, that's super, super interesting. And it's actually, if we wanted to talk about what happened over Corona and some of my thinking these days and future plans. I was thinking about how much time I have with my parents, right? My Mm. parents are both uh, still alive. Um, You know, I've had uh, a long time where I was trying to learn about myself and my beliefs and the world and how I wanted to to be in this world. And I think we've talked about some of those challenges uh, privately and um, now I'm looking at my family and I'm feeling like um, contributing or, or being closer, uh, trying to re- build deeper relationships with my mom and my dad uh, and my brothers and my sister and my, my nieces and nephews who we talked about playing the Switch uh, virtually. Sure, that's a possibility. Um, but there's something very different about being together. And over the course of Corona, me and my wife, who uh, have had a six-year long-distance relationship, suddenly had a <laughs> one-year no-distance relationship. And I felt the difference in how I thought of her in the, um, you know, you have a conflict and you have the opportunity tomorrow to work on it or the day after to work on it or the day after to work on it. It's sort of like reincarnation. You, you, it's going to be here until you get it right, you know? <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I'd like to um, deepen that relationship with my family. And at the same time, you know, I had this big question. Actually, this is something I'd love to talk about because I think that I would love to hear more people think about this. It's about intentionality and what is a beautiful intention and what happens when you keep asking why and digging underneath your intentions? So I was being, you know, shipped around the world, uh, give, like given the opportunity to do public um, talks because people put me into this category of positive change maker. But why was I doing that? And at some point, I really um, saw a disconnect between the things I was saying and the, 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 the size of the impact 
uh, that I was having. And I started to doubt NGOs. I started to doubt um, my own intentions. This is simultaneous with a lot of uh, violence that I experienced. And so I think I also had um, uh, psychological issues that I was struggling with. And so I was seeing things more negatively, uh, regardless of whether or not my intentions were good or bad. I think I, I had a really hard time um, with, uh, with my mind. And thankfully, I think it led me to really question things uh, a lot. And initially, my solution was to look towards mindfulness practices and um, uh, the dissolution of the ego. I'm not going to get too esoteric, uh, but basically the idea is, what if there was no you to have an intention and you were just responding in the moment? And that comes up in uh, Taoism. I think the concept is called Wu Wei. Of course, people who are more familiar will be able to tell me how to pronounce and say these things. Uh, I would really appreciate <laughs> some, some deeper insights if, if people are hearing me misrepresent the concept of choiceless action. Wu Wei is choiceless action. Mm -hmm. And that was my first solution. I've, and to be honest, the result of that solution of me trying to let go of desires and to be in the moment and be present was me living in a trailer park in Oakland in a van that somebody you know, gave me the keys to sleep in. I had no money, I had no, I was working on having no desire um, because I thought, and even a desire for good wants my intention to affect the world and that's kind of oppressive. It's because I think I know better than others about what good is and I was really in this state. And, and I couldn't get out of it on, and it's been a, a long time, but I, I listened to a podcast. You'll like this, uh, Mark. <laughs> um, a podcast changed the trajectory of my life. One episode. So <laughs> I hope if whatever I share from here, if you guys go want to listen to Father Greg Boyle uh, on the On Being podcast. Ah. Uh, you know that listener. one? I'm a listener, but I don't know that one. I, I admit to occasionally skipping, so I don't remember Greg Boyle, no. Yeah. No, it's an, it's an old one. I listened to it in 2016, and... Oh. Um, Father Greg Boyle uh, was asked by Krista Tippett, the podcast host, basically, why are you doing what you're doing? <laughs> the question of intention, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I love what he's doing. He's, he's a priest. He's um, setting up these places to employ um, ex-convicts uh, from the Hispanic community in LA that don't have any other opportunities. Like, it looks good. You know, he probably could get grants. You know, he's on this podcast because he's doing this kind of thing and people, people like it. And that. That was what I was scared of for myself because I was actually feeling the enjoyment of being asked, like, why are you doing this? And like, because it's good, you know? And then this guy said something that really changed my perspective. Um, he just, he basically said, because they're my homies, <laughs> because they're my friends. Yeah. And that's what you hope for. You know, uh, I'm not the great healer and that gang member over there is in need of my exquisite healing. Uh, the truth is it's mutual. And, and that as much as we are called to bridge the distance that exists between us, we have to acknowledge that there's a, a distance even in service. You know, a service provider, you're the service recipient, and you want to bridge even that so that you can get to this place of uh, utter mutuality. And I think that's where the place of delight is, you know, that I've learned everything of value really in the last 25 years from precisely the people who you think are, are on the receiving end of my gifts and talent and wisdom, and, but quite the opposite, it's, uh, it's mutual.
And that's when I really understood the importance of mutuality and of friendship and not even caring to help somebody, but just caring. And what happens when two people care for each other, there's a, the relationship is balanced. It's not like I help you because, you know, I'm rich and smart and I made a bunch of money and now I can like buy you a Subway sandwich and you're homeless and poor and you need the Subway sandwich. It's, it, there's a real mutuality. And that's what um, inspired the house in, in, in Lebanon. Um, and this is going to loop back to, to the, the family question because I feel like even though I learned that value of friendship, mm-hmm. I was still thinking of applying it far from home where there were challenges that weren't even necessarily my challenges. I'm not Lebanese. I love my Lebanese friends. I spent a lot of time there. I lived there for, for three years um, when we started working on this house. And I, and, and I love the relationships that I've nurtured. But on Sundays, every Sunday, people go to see their families. Oh, yeah. That's it. And I'm there in my, my house, <laughs> maybe with Saleh, uh, my co-founder. So Saleh, um, I met him in, in Burj Barajni refugee camps. Um, long story short, he becomes my co-founder of this, this collective called Beit al-Atlas, which is all about creating a space for unlikely friendships because of the beauty that emerges when differences meet. And instead of somebody being like, oh, look at all those hungry people. The question is, who's going to pick up the salad because I'm cooking dinner, you know? Mm-hmm. And then there are no more hungry people, but you're not doing it to help the hunger. You're not doing mm-hmm. it to remove the hunger. You're doing it because someone needs to bring the salad because I'm chopping the, the beets, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I, I love I love the house. I love what we've been working on, but it was in it was in Lebanon. And as much as I love Lebanon, when Corona struck, I started to think about you know how does it go? It's like for, first, um, I wanted to change the world. First, I thought at first I was smart and I wanted to change the world. Now I'm wise and I want to change myself. And I I think the the wisdom in that is is if more people think this way then things get stacked in the right order. It's not overextended. It's, right. um, it's taking care of yourself. And it's like solid there, right? Mm. And then you, you go out a little bit and take care of your family, you know? And it's solid there. And then, and then your actual neighbors, and is it solid there? And then even if you don't go much further than that, if other people develop this, this intuition, all these change makers, all these people that want to like go out and solve problems, we're solid in these three shells, mm-hmm. uh, self, family, and neighbors. I think the you know then we can go out and and find those other areas where they don't have the resources um, or th- there needs to be some uh, some more support from the outside. But um, yeah, anyway, so this is why I'm beginning to think about uh, going to Michigan, yeah. where I grew up, yeah. and uh, connecting to my family and um, spending more time with them, yeah. uh, taking care of myself, my mental health. I've been taking my vitamins. Trying to oh, fix yeah. my knee. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, but uh, yeah, yeah. You, you sorry, are, I, I went on like I know, a long no, no, story, no. But, the, the the family yeah. thing, especially, is something that I, I think is. I mean, obviously, the the current crisis in the world has made it even more obvious. But it is one of those things. I was I was talking to. Um, oh yeah, today it was my let's say my sister in law, uh, even though I'm not mm. married, um, and uh, she's in Hong Kong, and they have a child now. Uh, her and her mm. partner and uh families here in the Netherlands okay and so it's always been a long distance but mm-hmm. now 
uh, it's a really long distance. The child is six months old and we, we have the video talks and, and, <laughs> um, and she said, the mom said something that really rang in my ears today. It was very small. She said, well, you know, vaccines are not really rolling out very well here in, in Hong Kong. Mm. Uh, and I don't, I don't really picture us getting on a plane uh, mm. anytime soon, anytime soon. And she said, wow. thankfully, you know, there's no real emergency. And in my mm. head, uh, because I guess my own right fears and, and life and such, I thought, what about the limited time that we all have? <laughs> and, you know, what about your parents who are in fine health, um, who yeah. are only in their 70s, which in this country is is the new uh, 40 <laughs> or whatever. Um, but still, you know, I, I and so I've often thought, when someone talks about, mm-hmm. you know, needed travel and what would you risk and, you know, don't risk mm-hmm. going to the U.S. right now. It's too complicated. And I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of some of the complications, some of the risks and for myself and for my loved ones and, and everyone else. I don't know. Right. But then mm-hmm. but then what about all the time that is passing and that you don't really I don't know how to say it. You don't get it back. Um, does this constitute not an emergency, but. Ooh, Bilal holds up a couple a copy of After Death. I didn't get to see the author. I was too busy admiring the uh, Macbeth. Francois like, J. Bonnet. Bonnet. French uh, guy. Uh. Yeah. And it's not to obsess I, about, you know, how we're all yeah. dying and life is short and, and, and it's 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 just isn't that some of the beauty that we have, like time, especially mm-hmm. with family. Um mm-hmm. if they're healthy and around, you know, isn't that something really important and it's interesting to like sit back to some extent and say it's not a priority because it's not an emergency and it's true there's a difference i suppose between you know someone is sick and they need me and to Mm -hmm. someone is healthy but they'd still really like to be with me um Mm -hmm. you know like i think when you keep asking why you can hit the fundamental questions and different people have different answers so aristotle said that the ultimate good is happiness and everything anybody ever does is to attain happiness. Uh, Freud thought that anxiety and avoiding anxiety was the prime motivator for all, um, hmm. for all actions. Nietzsche uh, thought power was it, power and power alone. And uh, there's, there's some current um, people exploring, um, you know, Csikszentmihalyi is looking into, I can't remember the guy's name, uh, flow, flow states. And when you're in a state of flow, you're so engaged in the activity. There's no even question of why you can't like ask a guy on a surfboard, like, Hey, why are you surfing? <laughs> the guy's like, Just leave me alone. I am concentrating, you know? Yeah. And so, um, that is also an end in and of itself is flow states. Um, there are other, uh, ends and, uh, Martin Seligman is proposing this framework for ends called the PERMA framework. So positive emotion, um, just like it feels good. I guess you can connect that to happiness. Uh, engagement, which uh, is the state of flow. Um, relationships. And I think that's that friendship, that like that joy and that love is like, why are you in a relationship? <laughs> uh, because <laughs> uh, meaning is another one of those um, ends uh, and I think meaning can be felt it's an experience sense is um, feeling like there's there's a meaningful action uh, 
perma. A is for achievement. There are gamers that just want to see their name on that leaderboard at the pinball machine. They want to be at the top of the leaderboard. The reason why I brought this up is because I was thinking about something that I used to do that I think is high on my meaning list. And it isn't about changing the world, but it's just sitting on my mom's feet when they're cold, you know? <laughs> and I, yeah. I'm, I'm old. I don't know when I used to do that. I was a little yeah. kid, right? And yeah. it's one of those things when I look back and I'm like, yeah, I like who I was. I would do more things like that. Mm. If I had a life filled with more behaviors like that, I'd be proud of my life. I would be happy the way that I lived it. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, I think it's it's important to to think in our life of those types of experiences and those moments um, that we can look back at in that way with with pride. I know it's, it sounds strange to be like in admiration, you know. Hmm. And I think that it's it's those things that kind of expose all the things that if they flashed before your eyes before you died, you'd be like, hell yeah, good show, do again, <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 yeah. This, this definitely crosses my mind a lot because I guess because so much of the last year is evaluating more than usual. What is a, what is a necessary risk? What is, what is extra important right now? And then the other stuff that you say, well, it's not that important. Just wait, uh, mm. just hang on, which, and then I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm excluding the science part of all this, which is also mm -hmm. important. Um, and you know, the, the health part of this, but I'm just looking at the purely sort of emotional part, but, but yeah, that takes into account the risks, maybe science wise. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Take a download when I'm home, click and take me now what I'm saying. I was really happy with COVID actually. So, okay. Yeah. I'm so sorry for no. everyone who's lost people and for everyone who wasn't in a good situation when it hit and is alone and sad and lost their jobs. But thankfully, thankfully I'm blessed. I have my work. Mm -hmm. um, I wound up getting isolated with my wife yep. whom I needed to reconnect with. And uh and then all of the people that I used to only be able to see when I would fly to San Francisco or there's some places in Granada or <laughs> other places where I find teachers, you know, um, yeah. uh, especially around uh, religious uh, concepts and, and spiritual uh, educators. I found them all online all of a sudden. They're all home. You know, doing med yes. meditation classes. And uh, I'm doing this program called A Year to Live. And I'm dying in about... Ten, uh, nine and a half months. Okay. So, yeah, it's a practice <laughs> where I'm working on feeling huh. like this could be yeah. my end. I just heard actually somebody else from my group 
talk about their cousin, 36 years old, died of a heart attack. Mm. And I'm like, wait a second. I'm 35. Sure. I thought heart attacks were things that only happened to people, you know, much later in life. Yeah. And the other time we had our group session, somebody pauses like everyone and, and gets on camera and he's like, listen, guys, like it's been fun talking to you guys about the possibility of death, but I just got an unexpected phone call from my dad and my stepmom just died unexpectedly younger. Yeah. And when, you know, it's, it's 150 ish people in this course. So probabilistically we're going to have a lot of death mm -hmm. um yeah. and it's just so it's just amazing actually to to have it be so real mm -hmm. and also the guided meditations and, and contemplating has been a good exercise to think about like what unfinished business do i have mm -hmm. how do i want to live um if i really only had nine and a half months and then and then really being surprised about like time slips by mm -hmm. you know I started this course in the beginning of the year and it feels like these two and a half months or, what, or whatever it's been. Yeah. That was fast. Yeah. 2021 is fast. Six done already? More than <laughs> yeah, six yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> oh man, yeah. So the contemplation continues. But I mean, it's also, you know, it goes by fast, um, but it's, it's interesting that you're looking at how you want to live your life and in the process you're living your life. Mm, yeah pretty meta huh <laughs> but that's that's what you know those all those old i don't know if they're cliches but you know about life is what happens when you're making plans and all that stuff and sure also you know um there yeah time does go by it, it yeah 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 i've been reading some uh zen have you ever read some zen i don't these think so. guys are hilarious hilarious okay. the funniest guys um, but, uh, you know, it, it's not directly from the stuff that I'm reading, but the thing that it reminded me of was, uh, first the enlightenment, then the laundry, something like that. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. This, I mean, I would say that's my impression of what some of your day is like, <laughs> first the enlightenment then the laundry and just, yeah. sort of, you know, you're tackling and huge questions and you're also just enjoying yourself. I mean, you've got a Nintendo switch somewhere within reach. <laughs> Yeah, it's right here. Um, I would put out my friend code actually because I'm really trying to figure out if anybody's listening to this and wants to like yeah. conduct an intervention to help yeah. me figure out how to have fun. I would like to game. be involved. I would like to be involved. Yes. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, all of my friends, we're all virtual now. And I'm like, uh, Mark, here's my Calendly. Please book yourself a <laughs> slot so we can talk about life and death and the meaning of it all and family. And instead, I want to be like, yo, Mark, I got right worms now? on the Switch, bro. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> I got worms on the Switch. See a doctor, kid. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I actually got Switch with worms, with the game. Yeah. If anybody out there wants to, like, blow some yeah. worms up. Yeah, and, you know, not unlike the way we talk about how people behave in uh, or, or interact via video, via meetings. Mm -hmm. There's also, yeah, how people behave in, in games and with so many more people home and gaming. If you want to understand human life, there's something there, especially young people, human life. Well, what what yeah. have you found to be a really fun and cool thing to do with people online that isn't just Zooming and talking mm. about, you know, hmm. a weekly check-in or something? Hmm. I was, so for a long time, my basically my Frisbee team and, and friends were meeting weekly for a pub quiz. That 
that we sustained for six months thanks to some really dedicated uh, uh, members of the team. So I, I love it. And what became an important part of playing the game was the costume that you wear to the the meeting. So I went through like my deep archive of hats and uh, scarves and yeah, anything I've ever had from anywhere in the world. I wore to at least one of the the, the pub quizzes, but people were blending the backdrop with the costume with the theme of the quiz it was a party but it was it, was a, it took a lot of energy um and so after six months the the coordinators of it were like mm. we're really tired maybe we'll yeah. come back uh but for now <laughs> thank you so much so th those are my favorite things i think um yeah there, there hasn't been anything too do, crazy do you think that. because um there was a tool i forget exactly like party online video or don't go to that URL. It might be. <laughs> um, there was a tool that was trying to design these experiences plus plus some sort of you know virtual web conferencing software, so you could just make your cards and it would pop up by the video. Do you huh. think my question isn't like, hey, go, let's find this thing? No. It's do you think part of what made it so great was the effort, was the fact that these people put so much time and and worked through coming up with the questions and emailed everyone and coordinated, or would something that simplified that? actually make it more fun and could have sustained it longer uh i think something that's simplified it could have made it more fun mm. in terms of the actual content you know the people were working really hard the two quiz masters to develop questions that were both hard but not impossible uh, also not too easy also kind of universal because generally speaking we're from different cultures though maybe there's a dominant sort of dutch slash north america thing happening um so you know some stuff was just yeah you had to make it as universal as possible otherwise people would be like i'm out of here you know i'm not coming back for this but also mm -hmm. that we were old friends so there was also this unspoken <laughs> commitment like we're going to be here every saturday mm -hmm. and there are certainly times I, I think i missed at least one because I was either tired or outside or something. I don't know. Um, was it was it like you used to meet up on Saturday to play Frisbee and then COVID happened and now you're like, well, let's just keep the Saturday appointment and toss questions around. <laughs> Basically, yes. It, wasn't, it, it was just a different day of the week, uh, mm. maybe a slightly different hour. But yeah, no, these were rituals that we already had. So, so mm. I think, you know, you could create tools that would make it easier so that it's not so much work. And then leave the rest to us as we always have uh, been so sort of dedicated to each other and dedicated to also being silly. So it was the small things, <laughs> you know, it was the costumes that people would wear or or the lack of costume, you know, someone just wearing just one hat or one odd thing. And um, yeah, or, the, you know, people with their Zoom backgrounds. Also, some people were just fun with that. Um, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. Bilal has no current or a very clever home looking Zoom background. Um, so yeah, I think it was the little things also like, I love being a heckler in the chat. So if I don't like a question, mm. I'll criticize it or I'll, uh, I'll make a joke based on it. So, and I think people enjoy my, my bit, my shtick, uh, yeah. in, in the chat. So, you know, everyone does their part kind of. Um, I'm also usually the most, one of the most engaged people in whatever zoom meeting I'm in, in the chat, just <laughs> commenting on what the person said like yeah. i'm always elevating a private message i'm like yo that was interesting <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i i feel like in even in person actually i i like to bring life and then yeah. usually usually if i do it well people appreciate it you know right or like right. A, a, a dull meeting becomes a conversation yeah um 
And I try to bring some of that energy online, but yeah, I think one of the future big like leadership skills is facilitation. Like yeah. facilitation yeah. is such an important thing. I'm yeah. hosting, like thinking yeah. about all of this stuff and especially online, um, yeah. trying to figure it out. Yeah. If you know anybody that's like amazing, you know? Like, what do you mean? If you know anybody that, that you've, yeah, that's like huh. really good at holding space. And you know, I know people that do that really well in person, yeah. um, but I feel like it's, it's becoming a deeper need to hold space online. And here's a, here's a pro tip that mm -hmm. I'm just trying to figure out how to do better is how do we get more time online off of the camera? So yeah. with a yeah. piece of paper, yeah. with a yo-yo, with a puzzle, sure. you know, but yeah. you're still with people. You can hear them. You can talk to them. Yeah. Maybe you can come and return and show what you've made. But yeah. this is like something I'm, I'm exploring in the ideas of facility. Maybe next time we have this chat, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we can turn off the cameras and Absolutely. just have a doodle pad. Yep. Yep. And, uh, no, and, and, and that's the thing, even though we've had this technology for a while, we still don't really know what we're doing. And I mean that, you know, sort of humanity, like not in the most negative way, but, um, and I'm really into any kind of scientific research that I can get my hands on that talks about online meetings and online interaction mm -hmm. and, and video and the current version, right. Um, and mm -hmm. what it actually taps into or activates or doesn't activate or, mm -hmm. um, and like, I was just very struck by a whole section of recent research I read about seeing yourself in a video oh, chat. Oh, yeah. Right? Can I and hide my video? That's exactly it. So I so, usually do it when I'm in uh, Zoom. Zoom, you can do it, and it makes quite a difference because yeah. apparently seeing yourself for hours on end is not good for you. It's not good for you. It <laughs> makes you tired. It, it, it plays with your emotions a bit. Um, so, and why do we need that? Well, okay. We want to make sure that we're on camera. We're not like fading to the side. Um, there's some use for it, I think initially, but once the conversation gets going, I think more people should turn it off and we don't really understand what we're doing to ourselves. Yeah. Uh, or like this morning's talk that I mentioned from Hong Kong was a video chat on WhatsApp. And mm. I was like, I don't even know if there's an option here to hide you know, my yeah. head because I don't need to see myself. I just want to see these people. Um, get a, get a bit of uh, electrical tape. <laughs> you have to block. Um, but so it's, it's not just, you know, seeing yourself, it's all these elements, right? We feel like we need, you think that, okay. So, so the very trendy thing at my, one of my jobs these days is, or, or my job these days is to say, um, no, actually it's everywhere. It's not just a job. Um, there are people in my life that will say, Sometimes it's, I've just met them and they'll say, I really prefer online meetings. I'm sorry, offline meetings to online meetings. I prefer in-person contact to yeah. all of this online contact. Yeah. And I'm always very confused by this statement to some extent because I, you know, no one, I mean, very few people right now said, I insist we do everything via video. It's it's come as a sort of necessity or side effect of yeah. the the health risks of getting together. Um, but people will act like they're it's the new rebellion. It's the new I don't own a TV uh, mm -hmm. to say I know we could talk via video, but I much prefer online. And it's like, look, I don't even know why this is a discussion. We, we all, to some extent, will benefit and enjoy in person discussions. Um, the, the problem. And the thing now is that we have to do more online. And so then the question becomes how best to do it. And a lot of people just take all what they think are the values that we have and the, the features of an in-person conversation. And they just figure 
it'll just look the same. It'll be, yeah. you look at me, I look at you. But of course, if you and I were in the same room, you would sometimes look at the wall. You would look up. You would look at your shoes. You would, our eyes I don't just- you a cup of tea, yes. you know? Like. And I would enjoy it. And you did anyway. You mailed me one, so thank you. Um, it's now empty, uh, but but the, the bag still has more tea in it. That's just the cup. Anyway. <laughs> Actually, I, I was thinking that that could be a, an experiment. Is like, what if we drank the same milky oolong? Yes. A very good idea. Like very different good kinds idea. of experiments like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. We did a thing. I don't even like beer, but I thought it'd be fun among the Frisbee friends. Um, it was, I think of someone's birthday and we, um, someone took orders, uh, and we were all going to drink. Oh yeah. Beer tasting. So we got like, I don't know. I can only handle like two. So <laughs> two, two beers or a, a sip of three beers, I think is what I had. Uh, so someone rode their bike around and delivered the the kits, oh, wow. the three beers or four beers to each household. And actually in my building, we have two apartments that are from this team and none, none of us are good drinkers. So we shared our three or four beers, like we poured a glass and then we sent them upstairs and they poured the, their own glass. And nice. then we all sort of tasted together via video and mm. described it. And someone gave the history of that beer. And, and uh, mm. yeah, so that, that's what you're talking about, kind of the share something in person to be able to still tangibly taste or touch yeah. um even though we're in different places yeah yeah actually i just had um okay i'm gonna give you somebody that i know did some research on online community building because you, okay. you mentioned being curious about that and then i'm going to give a reference for a place where we can share these types of experiences um uh and rate them and review them <laughs> and enhance them it's like a wiki for um experience design Okay. Uh, my friend cool. Joe Edelman is, is working on it. It's called meaning.supplies. Nice. Um, and uh, the, the, the Sarah, I wish I could remember her last name, was talking about some research that she did on online community building and offline community building. And she mentioned that online community building has, uh, I mean, there, even if you prefer in-person meetings, there are some advantages to being online that you can leverage, like seeing Mark in Amsterdam and then seeing my family sure. in America in a couple of hours. And like, that's actually really, really great. Um, and it would be really hard to do that without being online. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but what she was saying was online communities are strongest when there's a catalyzing event early on in the community and then they go virtual. Huh. So they have touch points and references um, I'll, I'll see if I can find her because she was doing this sort of research. I'd love to read more deeply about what she does. Um, it's cool. Sarah something or another. I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can get you the reference. Cool. And then Joe Edelman, meaning.supplies, uh, one of the practices that he shared with me for connection asynchronously is to go for a walk or go somewhere and just record my reflections on my environment. Not be like, hey, Joe, so I've been thinking about you and I miss you. And I wish I could come to Berlin and, you know, I wish you could come to France. No, it's like, so I'm looking at a sunset and mm. actually the walls are gray and almost the same color as the sky at this time of night. And you just go for yeah. like 10 minutes. Okay. And then the person, when they have time, they'll listen to it and either respond or reflect back a similar thing. And it is, um, you know, like async, deep async communication is hard. Yeah. Usually... Async for me is just like, yo, Mark, I don't know how to get on or Discord or yeah. something like that. Yeah. I try sometimes to send videos, but this process I found to be quite nice. So if you're interested in these kinds of processes and want to find other ways of 
you know, I call it taking advantage of disadvantage. Like we're going to be online. How can we make it as good as it possibly can be? How can we leverage the unique elements about it and mitigate some of the negative elements of like hide yourself on the the self view for the video? Right. Um, uh, Some stuff that people don't use enough on on Zoom is the uh, annotate feature. Like Mm -hmm. one day I just, I don't know if you know about this, but there's like a little way of turning on annotation so that everyone can draw on the same screen. Mm. And it's like a big coloring book. It's actually super cool oh, okay. because, because people don't even have to say anything to interrupt or write in the chat. They just like draw little doodles and I put up a mandala and we're all coloring it. And it's, it's like simple little things that actually would be very hard to do in person, especially on like a <laughs> A4 piece of paper that everyone like oh, it has 50 people's hands, you know? Yes, yes, yes. Well, that does sound good, actually. I don't use the annotation, yeah. I don't think. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, if other people are listening to this, go to meaning.supplies, add your facilitations, uh, and you know, review some of the other ones. Yep. Uh, it's, it's a wiki. So uh, share. I'd love to learn from you. As the theme music <laughs> plays, I want to say thank you to my producer. No. <laughs> I want to put, uh, no, I don't want to put anything. I want to give a big thank you to Bilal for being on the program today. Uh, yeah. We got some, you mentioned Bite Al Atlas. Shout yeah. out, shout out. Um, We're looking to do Detroit and Atlas pretty soon. Um, looking into grants. Uh, if anybody listening to this is interested in community building uh, in Detroit, um, I actually think I found a, a location. I've communicated with the landlord of a church yeah. um, and uh, already looking into mortgages. Uh, so there are plans in the works. Um, it's right across from my cousin Sarm's house. I don't know if you met my cousin Sarm's, but uh, yeah. So yeah, All gears right. are a turning. All right, buddy, I'm going to hit stop on the recording. And then Do I'm going to talk to you in, a, in the offline mode or online mode without recording. You know what's cool? It doesn't sound that much different. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the, uh, being on the program, buddy. Thank you, man. Ba-dum-bum.